Armed American Radio listeners, today's Armed American Radio's recorded version of the national radio broadcast, the Armed American Radio podcast, is being brought to you today and every day by North American Arms. Make sure to visit NorthAmericanArms.com for the finest mini revolvers on planet Earth. NorthAmericanArms.com. Enjoy the show. is Armed American Radio. If they want to take my guns, they're going to have to bring a station wagon and a whole lot of friends because I'm not giving them anything. From the Car Firearms Group Studio at the Patriot Mobile Communication Center on the Sig Sauer Platinum Microphone. Mark, we know they want to take our guns, and now we're going to make them eat it. Proudly presented to you by X-Insurance. X-Insurance. Here is your host of Armed American Radio, the loudest conservative voice in America fighting for your rights, Mark Walters. 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 Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Hour two of Armed American Radio's MonsterCast is now underway. And you paying attention to that new intro. Love that. That went in today. We sit here in the Car Firearms Group studios at the Patriot Mobile Communication Center, formerly known as AAR Ranch. Six Hour Mike lit up for you today. X Insurance presenting it all. Greg in Dallas, Texas is back from his vacation, which you wouldn't have known if only if you only listened to this show. He was here last week. But if you listen to The Daily Show, he was off all week. We welcome you back, Greg. Welcome back. Would you be kind enough to tell people where to watch the show in high def and Wi-Fi and uh, participate in the chat. I had to do that for you all week. I actually got pretty good at it. Oh, well, that's good. You needed a little practice. Yeah, so if you want to watch the show, you can head over to it. No, go ahead. I'll leave that to you. I was going to let you roll with it. Hey. No, that's okay. Go for it. I'm glad you're back to do it. All right. Well, if you want to watch the show, just head on over to armedamericanradio.org or .com on the right-hand side of that website. You'll see the menu icon. All you have to do is give that a click, and when that window opens up, you can select that Watch Live option. If you're driving, please don't watch and drive. Head on over to the Listen Live link and click there and listen to the show. Uh, If you have missed anything over the past few weeks and you need to get caught up, well, the podcast link is where you want to head, or if maybe you're catching this show a little later on, you'll find it later this evening on the podcast link. If you want to join our live chat, just head on over to your app store, grab the Telegram messaging app, create your profile, and search for Armed American Radio Conversations. Yeah, thank you for that. You went into a little bit more detail than I did. Let's go to our guest for the hour. And boy, do I have a lot to talk with you about. Dr. John Lott, CrimeResearch.org. John, welcome into the program today, my friend. I, I, I'm, I've got so much I want to cover with you. I, I'm going to apologize in advance that I'm not going to get to all of it. But I welcome you in. I know you've been busy, and I saw that you were in Ecuador, and you have other travel scheduled throughout South America. What's going on in Ecuador why were you there? What did it mean? And why are you going to be traveling throughout South America? I think listeners will find it fascinating. Right. Well, uh, there's been a lot of political change in South America. Uh, there's a new president in Ecuador. Um, he's uh, conservative. Uh, and he's facing really difficult challenges. Uh, they have a very bad uh, drug gang problem. Cartels, they are kind of running rampant, massive corruption uh, in the police. I was there in August, uh, addressed uh, a group of police officers, a couple hundred, and um, was able to go back and uh, give a lecture to, they've just started uh, a new national police university down there. And the very first class, a few hundred 
new students that they have. They go through a four-year program. And, uh, you know, it's they're trying to change things around. The problem is, is just the corruption. You talk to the police, and the saying that you hear all the time is either take the silver or a bullet. Basically, it means you either take the bribe or they kill you. Uh, the judges wow. will tell you the same thing, that they go and uh, constantly, you know, they'll say most judges are corrupt, and the only ones that probably aren't are the ones that haven't been on a case that the drug cartels care about yet. And uh, I met with, um, so the first day I was there, I met with the uh, uh, minister for the Ministry of Government, which is kind of their top cabinet position that they have. Uh, mainly talked to him about both the drug gang problem and also concealed carry. They used to have very liberal concealed carry rules uh, in Ecuador, but past socialist presidents uh, uh, greatly restricted it. There's like 306 Ecuadorians who have a, a permit to be able to carry a gun in public, uh, which is not very many. And, uh, <clears throat> Uh, the current government wants to loosen it up. And uh, uh, so I met with him. Then the next day I gave the talk at the university and I gave uh, and I met with the, uh, um, the the head of the National Election Commission. It's a little bit off from the gun issue, but I've done a lot of work on vote fraud and, and stuff over time. And her big concerns, one of her big concerns was that the drug cartels are funneling uh, their drug money into political campaigns and basically overwhelming the spending that normally would be occurring there. And then uh, the next day I testified before their Congress's uh, security committee on, um, on making it easier for people to carry concealed handguns. And I talked about... Um, what the experience had been in the United States. So, you know, there are people there <clears throat> right now. The rules are you have to go and get approval from two doctors who will tell you that you, uh, you know, you're, you have no violent tendencies. And I was explaining to them that you have no rule like that in the United States. Uh, and yet you, you look at how law abiding permit holders are. They're extremely law abiding. This, even compared to police officers, numbers that you and I have talked about before. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe I just back up. So when I talked to the new National Police University, both the students and the professors, there are a number of things I was trying to argue there. The basic one was something you and I have talked about many times, and that is, you know, it's not rocket science for reducing crime. You have to make it risky for criminals to go and commit crime. Higher arrest rates, higher conviction rates, longer prison sentences but also making it so that victims are able to go and defend themselves. And so I put in a plug for arming civilians. But there's more than that. Uh, past socialist presidents have disarmed uh, the local police. You have municipal police and you have uh, national police. The national police, which make up about 15% of police down there, are armed, uh, but the local police aren't. So you have wow. 85 percent of the police officers. I don't know what they're supposed to do. They come across a drug gang. They're supposed to say, you know, please uh, be nice now. And, you know, just trying to explain that you have to have police that are willing to go towards the crime. 
Uh, and you can't expect people to do that if they're not armed. And you have to have police who aren't going to be themselves terrified because in order to solve crimes, you have to have victims being willing to come forward to be witnesses. And if if the police themselves are scared about what might happen, I mean, how can you expect civilians to be willing to come forward and and testify in court and or even be witnesses earlier at earlier stages of the investigation? So I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I think my testimony before the Congress uh, was well received. Uh, you know, if people are just afraid of the unknown, you know, so you have people there who want to just impose all sorts of regulations that make it impossible for people to carry. One of the other things I talked about was who benefits the most from having concealed carry permits. And I made the point that it was two groups, basically the people who are the most likely victims of violent crime, and that overwhelmingly tends to be poor minorities. Uh, you know, in, in Ecuador, uh, you're talking about $650 at least. Uh, to go through the process to get a wow. permit to be able to go and legally carry a gun. So I gave them the example in the United States between Illinois and Indiana, where Indiana, you have about 23% of the adult population with a permit. In Illinois, it's about 4%. Why the difference? Well, in Illinois, the total cost when you put training and everything else in there and the fees, you're talking about something around $450. In Indiana, it's literally zero. But it's more than that. You also change not just the number of people or the percent of adults that get permits. You change the mix. In Illinois, it's basically wealthy whites who live in the suburbs. You're not going to get much of a reduction in crime if you're having people carry. I mean, I'm glad they're able to carry. But if you have the people who are carrying are the ones who aren't facing the violent crime. You have to have the people who are most likely to be victims being able to go and carry if you're going to have a reduction. I think one part of my testimony that actually had maybe the biggest effect was talking about the benefits for women. I mean, you could see uh, there was uh, uh, women legislators there who literally went from kind of opposing uh, the situation to actually kind of, you know, almost being a cheerleader for it. Uh, when I kind of went through some of the facts there and explained how women benefit much more than men and how you can't have a long, complicated process because, you know, if a woman's being stalked or threatened, she may not have Needs the her protection of time. right now. John, we'll, when we come back, I have a couple questions for you relative to some of the impediments that they want to put up. To make carrying a firearm a little bit more difficult, I sense some similarities between what they want to do and what American gun grabbers want to do. And we'll talk with John Lott about this and many others. We'll get as much as we can in with John right after this. following segment of Armed American Radio is being brought to you by Defender Coffee. When you drink Defender Coffee, you're making a donation to a gun rights organization of your choice that protects and defends your freedoms. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, welcome back to the show. The Patriot Mobile Communications Center, Car Firearms Group Studios, Six Hour Mike, X Insurance presenting it all. Greg, before we go back to Dr. Lott, ask me how many cups of Defender Coffee I had to start my day today. 
how many cups of coffee did you have to start your day, Mark? Two. And they were fantastic. All right. DefenderCoffee.com. And when I had both of those cups of coffee, ladies and gentlemen, I supported the Second Amendment Foundation because Defender Coffee lets you take a portion of the profits and support the Second Amendment Foundation, where you can choose to support the gun owners of America, whatever you do. Obviously, you know my situation with the Second Amendment Foundation. That's my choice. You can do what you want. DefenderCoffee.com. Make sure to check out all of our partners, please, at ArmedAmericanRadio.com. They're all listed there for you, and we've got some great new partners. You can find them all there, and we're so proud to be working with Patriot Mobile. We're going to have some great stuff for you relative to switching your service over to a company, a cell phone company that supports you and your rights and your gun rights. That's a beautiful thing, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm in the process of doing that myself. So welcome back in. Let's go back to Dr. John Lott, crimeresearch.org, by the way, crimeresearch.org. You can head over there and support John with 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 50 bucks. I give money every single month. Greg gives money every single month. Crimeresearch.org. Dr. Lott is doing the work here necessary in the United States, but not just here, as you're hearing him talk about, also around the world. Dr. Lott, welcome back in, my friend. So back to Ecuador for just a moment. Ecuador is a country that's fairly poor. It's located just a little bit southwest of Colombia and north of Peru, nestled in there. I know it's a very beautiful area of the world, but as you mentioned, it's very crime-ridden, a lot of cartel problems. Yet you have people down there who are, well, it's currently right now, if if I heard you correctly, right now to get a gun permit, you have to have a, a two doctors have to examine you. That's we see the same thing from Democrats here that say we should have to get psychological exams. Did you see any similarities with what the with the laws down there and what the Democrats want to do for us here? Yeah, sure. No, I mean, uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Well, I mean, look, uh, yeah, there are a lot of people down in Ecuador who don't think people should be able to carry for protection at all. Much of the debate is what you expect here in the United States. And so in the past, you know, when we adopted right to carry laws or constitutional carry laws, predictions about disasters. And basically I was pointing out to them that the same types of arguments that I was hearing um, being made against it were the same arguments that were made in the United States before things were, were, were put in effect. And yet time after time, those hadn't occurred. There's a reason why, uh, there's a reason why, you know, the rest of the states kept on adopting these laws. I mean, as more and more states adopted it, uh, it was harder and harder for them to go and worry about extreme disasters. And as we've talked about many times, so much of the gun control advocates are talking about what might possibly go wrong. But we don't need to guess. We can go and look. We can go and see that permit holders are convicted of firearms-related violations at one twelfth the rate of police officers and one two hundred fortieth the rate of the general population. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, you know, uh, you know, it's so many things out there, and one of the reasons why they asked me down there was to try to go through the numbers and to try to talk to them. So I, I hope it made a difference. The thing is, uh, the socialists still kind of control the, uh, um, the uh, legislature there, uh, but they, if they don't have a strong majority 
And uh, I think at least uh, we made progress with uh, some of the women legislators there. And so, you know, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, that's um, that's great to know because, you know, we see the same thing. I, I hope that they took to heart what they heard from you, and it sounds like they did. Just for time purposes, you have other, it's almost like you're going on tour down there. Where are you going next with this message uh, in South America? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I could get more added on, but right now um, I've been asked to go to Argentina. I'm supposed to meet with the new vice president that they have down there, and I'm supposed to testify before their Senate. Um, and I'm supposed to give a number of talks to different groups, police groups and to other groups. Um, and, uh, you know, so, you know, and again, even with police in some of these areas, it's kind of like the unknown, you know, and people are afraid of the unknown. You have people worry about what might possibly happen. And so one of the things that I try to do when I talk to the police in Ecuador and when I'll be talking to them in Argentina is just look at, surveys of what police in the United States view about concealed carry. The police in the United States are extremely strong supporters of uh, private ownership of guns and also in concealed carry. And I think, you know, I could see officers kind of nodding their heads when I was right. going you through get a some feel. of the discussions there. They, whether in Ecuador or the United States, you know, I'd explain to them how important police are. I'd explain to them my research shows that I think police are the single most important factor for reducing crime. But at the same time, I would point out that even though they are so important in deterring crime, they almost always arrive on the crime scene after the crime's been committed. And the question is, what should people do when they're having to confront a criminal by themselves? And how important it is that they realize in their own lives how important having a gun is. And they understand when a civilian's facing a criminal by themselves, how important having them have a gun is. So, you know, that's so in Argentina, I'm actually going to be there for like nine days because they have so many people that they want me to talk to. And then uh, uh, in July, I'm supposed to be in Brazil uh, and then in uh, uh, and then in Chile, Chile. Uh, they're writing a new constitution there. Uh, the socialist president had put up a constitution, and the voters had voted it down by almost a two-to-one margin. In that same election, the conservatives kind of swept in to control the uh, national legislature. And so now it's their turn to try to write a constitution mm-hmm. to put up. And, you know, I guess I'll try to give him some input on some aspects of that. So oh, that that's fantastic. Um, and it, ladies and gentlemen, real quick, John, your success down there weakens the international gun control movement. And right. what I mean by that is, ladies and gentlemen, there is a huge push through the U.N., et cetera. Uh, Julianne Versnell uh, Gottlieb is very involved in the international movement, the pro-gun movement as well. Now, we've got 30 seconds, John, so I'll just take this to the break. We come back. I kind of want to go here again because, ladies and gentlemen, when John succeeds in these countries, it weakens the international gun control movement, which also weakens the gun control movement here in the United States. That's why they're trying to work outside the United States as well, because this is a globalist movement against your right to bear arms. And the Democrats are fully involved. They're fully involved with this movement. 
They help fund it, etc. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with John Lott. It's quite fascinating. And two, John, I want to mention, think about this through the break. I hope you're ready to eat some really great steak when you go down to Argentina. Just heard it's the yeah. best in the world. Armed American Radio's MonsterCast will continue. We have two more segments with Dr. Lott. A lot to cover, so stick around. Fascinating conversation. We'll be right back. segment of Armed American Radio is being brought to you by Mike Lindell and MyPillow. Don't forget to use the promo code AAR at MyPillow.com. Welcome back. Yes, welcome back indeed. We've got two more segments with Dr. John Lott. We're going to jump right in. All of this is being brought to you by X-Insurance, by the way. Make sure to check them out at X-Insurance.com. X-Insurance will insure everything. They'll, they'll cover you. Whether it's a, a one-time deal, maybe it's an event you have planned, X-Insurance will write you a policy. They'll cover your freedom. They'll cover your guns. They'll cover gaps in homeowners to cover your guns. If you have more guns than your homeowners will cover, kind of like me, X-Insurance is there for you. They will protect you. They will protect your freedom, and they will go to the mat with you. They will not walk away from you. Should the worst unthinkable thing happen to you, X-Insurance will be there by your side and literally go to the floor with you and fight to keep you free, unlike other companies. Welcome back. John Lott. Let's, I want to go back to that because I, I make that statement that your success – down there and in throughout South America or anywhere in the world that you do this. But here we're talking about South America right now where there is a, a ton of crime right now. There's a, there's a lot of cartel violence and cartel violence is extreme violence and citizens should be able to arm themselves. My personal belief is it's going to reduce some of that violence for obvious reasons. We saw that happen in Brazil. Yet again, they want to take more guns. Aside from all of that, that international movement is very well funded. It's very well coordinated. American Democrats are involved in it. It's not just here. So I applaud your efforts there because it will help weaken the the international push for gun control. And again, over just the, the basic question, it sounds like you were well received. Do you expect to see some changes based on your talk down there? Well, I hope so. I mean, I guess we'll find out in the near future. But look, Good. I think there's a reason why people like George Soros are putting in huge amounts of money in other countries. I mean, Look at Israel. Israel's had, um, you know, up until the early 1970s, your civilians were banned from being able to carry uh, guns uh, in public. After that, they changed the rules. You had as high as maybe about 12 percent of the adult Jewish population be able to go and carry. But then uh, Soros basically funded a lot of really bad public health research about the dangers of people owning guns. And uh, prior to October uh, 7th, they'd gotten it down to about 2% or so of the adult Jewish population being able to legally carry. I mean, you and I talked about this. I mean, I can only imagine how something like the attack on the um, music festival would have turned out differently if some of the people there had guns. If you'd had you know, 5% or whatever of the 1,000 or so people there having guns, you know, uh, it could have turned out dramatically differently. But unfortunately, because of the rules that they had, it doesn't look like anybody was able to go and defend themselves. And so, you know, Israel has tried to change some of its rules. I wish I could 
I wish there was interest in having me in Israel to talk about this stuff. But the, uh, you know, in Israel, uh, even now, so like the day after the attack, the uh, minister for uh, security there announced changes in the rules. Uh, now you can get a concealed carry permit as long as you don't have a criminal record or whatever. But there's still restrictions. Uh, yeah. They increased the number of rounds of ammunition you could get each year from 50 to 100. I mean, you can, bear, you can practice a tiny bit with 100 rounds over the course of the year. Netanyahu, at the beginning of last year, long before uh, the October 7th attack, had, had argued for loosening the rules precisely because he was concerned about an attack occurring. But even though the government that he was leading at the time that had just taken over again was labeled as the most conservative uh, government in Israeli history— he couldn't even get all of his members of his coalition to agree to change the gun laws that were there. And so, you know, and right now they still haven't been able to go and do things like get rid of the 100-round limit on ammunition and things like that. So, you know, it's there's a real debate. Look at Switzerland. Oh, good heavens, Switzerland, that's, that's not even an hour at the range, for crying out loud. Right. Well, I mean, in Switzerland, uh, Soros and others have put in a lot of money into it. They, they've ad adopted some many gun control laws. So, like, military weapons are no longer stored at people's homes. It has to be stored in an armory. Um, you know, it's amazing. It's a huge change there. They've had other rules, like they went along with the European Union, for some registration and other things that they had there. Uh, and so, you know, licensing requirements that they didn't previously have. Uh, you know, so, it, you know, you can just imagine all the discussions that people have had about Switzerland's gun control laws in the past. John, That's let me, let me stop you quickly. Argument. Let me stop you quickly. Was there a tremendous problem with violent crime? in Switzerland that made them change those laws, or did they just fall prey to the Soros funding and the political whims of the globalist right. anti-gun movement? Or did they create a problem that didn't exist so they could pass their gun? Or was there, were they really concerned about crime? Thought, well, maybe we'll try to, I don't think that's the case, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, I know it's not, but I, and I asked that question rhetorically, John, but nonetheless, yeah, sure. it's the same thing well, we I, see I, here. I think, I think you're on the right track rhetorically. They have, really badly done public health studies that basically say you have to remove guns from the home in order to reduce suicides. And as if there are not other ways for people to go and commit suicide. Right. You know, so, I mean, I look at places that have banned all guns or all handguns, and you can see drops in firearm suicides, which is what the public health people look at all the time. But to me, the big thing is what happens to total suicides? And you don't see drops in total suicides. And it seems to me the bottom line is if you're caring about reducing suicides, it isn't how they commit it, it's whether they commit suicide successfully. And so, but, uh, you know, that's unfortunately the media in these countries is, are no, is no better than the media here in the United States in terms of trying to ask tough questions of these studies. And unfortunately, out, you know, you think academia is bad in the United States? Oh. You know, it's not. 
there's nobody like me in most of these other countries. And so, you know, it's, you have a lot of very left-wing professors who, you know, are the ones who are getting this funding to go and do this research. And it has a big impact. And, and you know, if you can't have examples outside the United States, like Switzerland or other countries, I think it has an impact on the debate here in the United States. I'm curious, what, were you there long enough to see how the press reacted to your talk, or did they react at all? Down there, uh, I, I, I mean, I was on some radio there. I was on what I was told was the most popular radio show, for example, uh, in uh, in Ecuador. But uh, you know, it's not like we got calls from the audience. I just basically dealt with, uh, you know, I don't know. They had like five radio show hosts there at that one show, and uh, you know, uh, they were respectful and. Obviously, they were very concerned about the crime rate. I'll just give you an example. In 2022, the murder rate in Ecuador was 26 per 100,000. The murder rate now in the United States is something just over five per 100,000. So, you know, they they have really bad murder problems. I mean, you have people that are just shot to death in the streets. You have massive breakouts of prisons in the country there. And... uh, uh, you have prisons where guards haven't even wanted to go into parts of the prison. So it just, you know, it's been a situation that's been out of control. And as I say, corruption is all over the place, whether it's judges or whether it's um, uh, police or whether it's auditors or whether it's district attorneys or whatever. Uh, you're talking about massive amounts of money. And, you know, it's the, what I try to tell them, it's the old joke about outrunning the bear. You don't need to outrun the bear yourself. You just have to be faster than everybody you're with. You better believe that. John, we've got one more segment with you. Well, and that was a great time, great way to end the segment. When we come back, I'm going to take you to Michigan, and we're going to talk about Jennifer Crumley briefly. I'll explain all that when we come back. Some of you might not be familiar with the case. You will be in a few minutes. Don't go away. segment of Army American Radio is being sponsored by Crossbreed Holsters. Make sure to visit crossbreedholsters.com. Now let's get back to me. Indeed. Welcome back in. Final segment already in the second hour of Armed American Radio here in the Car Firearms Group Studios, the Patriot Mobile Communication Center, formerly known as AAR Ranch. Yes, we have a communication center. Sig Sauer microphone fired up for you on hundreds of radio stations around the nation, all of it being brought to you by X Insurance. They're presented Every single day, six days a week, seven, because really, I mean, some shows are doubling it up and running it on Saturdays, et cetera. So Armed American Radio is out there seven days a week. X Insurance presents it all. Please go out of your way to visit all of our partners. They make it all possible. And as I said, April 26th, we will celebrate our 15th anniversary on the airwaves. And we have never run a three-hour repeat on this program in 15 years. You have gotten fresh content every single week. That is a remarkable run. We're proud of it. And we couldn't do it without our partners. Make sure to check them all out. Barrel Buddy, PT Ammo, BarrelBuddy.com, PT Ammo, WOFT.com, GoatGuns.com, ArmsList.com, America's Firearms Marketplace, CuttingEdgeFirewood.com, HeavensHarvest.com, and, of course, Car, 
North American Arms, Sig Sauer, Patriot Mobile, X Insurance. You can find them all. Defender Coffee, MyPillow.com slash Armed American Radio. You can find them all at ArmedAmericanRadio.com. If you love the content in these shows every single week, support them. It's why we're here. It's how we're here. As John Lott has said in the past, it's why we have a radio show, and it's why he does what he does. Dr. Lott, Crime Research as well, ladies and gentlemen. Let's not forget that. CrimeResearch.org also supports the program, and we support CrimeResearch.org, John's organization, Crime Prevention Research Center. Dr. Lott, welcome back in. Fascinating conversation. Greg and I were talking a little bit about Ecuador, et cetera, and, and some of the work that you're doing down there. Just quite fascinating. Did you want to put an exclamation point on any of that before we go over to the Jennifer Crumbly case in Michigan? I really want to get your take on that one, too, in this last segment. No, I mean, one of the things that's kind of amazed me when I sent out the uh, the email on Saturday, just kind of talking about the few days that I was there, I got a number of people who were very upset that I was traveling to uh, to South American countries, just saying I should just focus solely on the United States. And it's not like I put a lot of time in there. I mean, it's three days down to Ecuador. I think I met and accomplished a lot in the time that I was there. Uh, but, you know, as you're pointing out, this has, and what I tried to argue back to them, though I haven't heard anything back from the people that were complaining, was... Uh, not surprised. You know, this is, you know, I understand they're concerned about their ability to go and protect themselves and their families. What I would argue, and the point that you were making before, was that that in part depends... Uh, you know, unfortunately, one can go and argue, but in part depends what's happening to other countries. And it's happening for either things like the U.N. or or what I'm most concerned about or deal with directly is that people point to the experience in other countries saying, look, all these other countries have very strict gun control laws. The United States should be like them, too. But like if we can have like the experiment in Brazil with Bolsonaro had a over 600% increase in the number of people who are licensed uh, to be able to own guns legally there. You know, around the world, experts, academics, and media were predicting absolute disaster that murder rates mm-hmm. were going to soar. Instead, you had this huge drop in murder rates that occurred there. When I brought up the Brazilian experience in Ecuador, you could see it affected people in the room. You know, they... You know, it's like they had like no argument against it because everybody had been predicting disaster and the exact opposite had happened. And so, you know, it's uh, there's a reason why places like the New York Times and Washington Post and uh, NPR and all sorts of places when Bolsonaro was originally proposing his uh, his, uh, you know, uh, solutions there for reducing crime, uh, claimed that experts were saying that the opposite was going to happen mm-hmm. from what he wanted. And now afterwards, they're silent, basically, on it. Uh, you know, so, or or they try to come up with other, you know, strained explanations for why there was this huge drop in crime, you know, despite a 600% increase in licensed gun owners. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard why you need to support crimeresearch.org. Because John does that to them here. And, and too many people on our side in the pro-gun rights movement are just not familiar enough with what's happening in other countries. And that this does impact, particularly when you have Soros funding offices. It's the same movement, ladies and gentlemen. And imagine the pressure that will be brought to bear politically if they're successful in every other country in the world. 
It's it's all tied together, and you're doing tremendous work, John. Thank you for what you're doing down there. Let's go to uh, Jennifer Crumbly back here in Michigan. She was found guilty. She's the mother of Ethan Crumbly, school shooter in Michigan, and she was found guilty of four counts of involuntary manslaughter. You have an op-ed up on February 12th at Town Hall, and I'll just read briefly. Found guilty of involuntary manslaughter, four counts after her son shot four students dead on November 30, 2021. She will face sentencing on April 19th, or excuse me, April 9th. That's coming up quickly. And her husband now faces the same manslaughter charges. Her crimes, not locking the gun her son used and not recognizing the danger her son posed. The prosecutors made much of her not being a good mother. The title of your piece is Jennifer Crumbly shouldn't have been convicted. We've only got about a minute and a half. So kind of give us the concise version. Uh, well, you know, one, it's kind of hard to hold her responsible for uh, for not identifying when you have all these mental health care experts who have been seeing all these mass public shooters. We've had over half the mass public shooters in the United States since 1998. We're seeing mental health care professionals. And yet none of these experts, not one single time, identified any of those individuals as a danger to themselves or others. The other thing is like mandating that people have to lock up their guns really can have bad consequences because people are less able to go and use guns for self-defense. And when you mandate that people have to lock up their guns, criminals become emboldened to attack people in their homes and the criminals are more successful in committing their crimes. You actually see an increase in deaths. You see an increase in, in other crimes like robberies and rapes when when people are mandated to lock up, lock up their guns because they're not as readily accessible for people to defend themselves and their families. Ladies and gentlemen, you can read all of this over at crimeresearch.org. John, we're just about out of time, and I want to thank you for what you're doing. Your efforts around the world are fantastic, particularly down in South America. I meant what I said about the stake down in Argentina. Uh, you and I both know someone who happens to have flown down there a lot as a pilot, for a large, uh, large commercial carrier in the United States who swears by it, as do many, many people. So enjoy your time down there, and more importantly, change some minds. I know you are. There's no question about it. You have to be. And from the reports that I saw from Ecuador and, and the things that you did down there, you are certainly doing it. John Lott, thank you so much for everything that you do. Ladies and gentlemen, you can read everything well, John you. Lott puts out. You bet. You can read everything John Lott puts out at crimeresearch.org. That's crimeresearch.org. He's got more up there than I could I could get to in a three-hour program. It's all there for you. All of the studies, everything he talked about is there in great detail. It's, it's, it's a heavy read. It's going to take you a long time to get through it all. So pick and choose your fights. If you ever run into an argument with an anti-gunner that doesn't have a clue what they're talking about, as long as it's an honest person you're dealing with, Many times, most oftentimes it's not, but if it is, all of the information is available to you. Take advantage of it. Use it. You will always win the quote-unquote argument. I notice I didn't say debate. Why? Because there is no debate. The debate ended December 15, 1791. We have a Second Amendment. They don't like it. They're trying to take it, not just here, but around the world. Armed American Radio's MonsterCast will continue from the Car Firearms Group Studios. Here at the Patriot Mobile Communication Center on the 6th Hour Mic, all of it brought to you by X Insurance in the next hour in a classic Armed American Radio roundtable. Yes, Dr. John Dean sitting in for Brad Primo. See you on the flip side. You 
just filled your prescription for freedom with Mark Walters, presented by X-Insurance. X-Insurance. On the Armed American Radio Network. 